0: Hello everybody and welcome to a Cane and Rinse Extra. It's a special interview we've got for you. Uh, first up, a little bit of housekeeping. This is an apology uh, both to you listeners, potentially, and to editor Jay. Uh, there's a there's a potential for a few uh, interruptions as regards to background noise uh, because uh, I record these at home. My neighbours are doing some uh, some renovations, <laughs> so you might hear some sanding or drilling. Uh, and also, at the time of recording, uh, the south of England is experiencing this storm that they've dubbed the beast from the east. So you may also hear some bitter howling wind. Uh, but all that just adds atmosphere as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, to the matter at hand, I'm joined today by author of uh, the forthcoming book, Rocket Jump, Quake and the Golden Age of First-Person Shooters is David L. Craddock. Welcome to kane and Rince.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. And I can sympathize with your situation. The neighbor who lives below me loves to pull his car out of his garage turn his music up to 11 and clean out his car he's sitting in there listening to music that is just deafening to me in my apartment and he's cleaning out his car i don't know why he likes to do this but uh i can certainly sympathize with background noise popping up at the worst times
0: it's uh it's it's normally the people with the worst taste in music that play (laughs) it the loudest in my experience i can't even understand Um,
1: the music but the bass seems very powerful to me
0: It's probably actually un- undermining the very integrity of his car. <laughs> right. uh, it might just fall apart one day like a clown car. <laughs> Let's hope so. Anyway, yes. uh, so you're here to talk to us today about uh, this, uh, this book, the aforementioned uh, Rocket Jump, but uh, just to give our listeners some background on who you are and your credentials. Uh, what do you do uh, the rest of the time and, and what subjects have you written on before?
1: I am a, a writer, twenty five hours a day, eight days a week. It feels like good stuff. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, no, it is. It's uh, uh, I'm very grateful for the job. I started back in 2004 writing pro bono, writing news and game reviews and that sort of thing for mygamer.com. And since then, mm-hmm. I've, I've built up a freelance portfolio, and I'm also an author. Um, my main freelance client these days is Shacknews.com, a gaming and tech website. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. uh, actually the original host of Rocket Jump, I published it on Shack News, Uh, Last December, and um, I kind of divide my days. Mornings, I work on book projects, and afternoons uh, to evenings to the time when it's very dark out. My wife says, "Come out and spend time with me." That's all for freelance stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sort of know the situation. Um, Yeah, and so you've uh, you've written a couple of long form pieces before.
1: Yes, Rocket Jump is the third for Shack News Uh, last spring, around April. I wrote a book called uh, Doom Stairway to Badass. And the subtitle comes from uh, this director, uh, one of the co-directors of Doom said that that's how they described their gameplay loop. They wanted it to be this stairway to the player feeling like a badass. And I thought that was a a great metaphor. So I used it. Um, And then before that, uh, November 2016, I wrote a long form on Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider reboot.
0: Ah, fantastic. Uh yes, that's uh, that's one we covered on the podcast some years back. Uh yeah, interesting story indeed. But what inspired you to write uh, on this particular topic, the uh the the 90s or the golden era as you've called it of of the first person shooter, um Quake and its ilk?
1: Uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Shaq News actually started in 1996 as a fan site, a Quake fan site called Quake Holio. And
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, it's true. In fact, um, if you go back, uh, part of my research for writing Rocket Jump was looking at John Carmack's old .plan files he would write. And he said that um, Shaq News and Blues News and a few other very select fan sites were the sites where he would... Call user feedback from. He actually looked to Shaq's users for information on how to balance Quake 3. And um, so, you know, my boss, uh, Asif Khan, who's the CEO and editor in chief, uh, told me after the Doom long form went up, he said, you know, we should really write something on Quake and it should be awesome and huge and long and detailed because, Mm -hmm. you know, we just want to pay homage to our roots. And Uh, So I said, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've I've been a Quake fan myself since the first game, really an id fan since Wolfenstein 3D. Um, And that was the kind of the second inspiration. I loved the 1990s era of first person shooters, uh, Quake and Doom and Half-Life, Duke Nukem 3D, Unreal Tournament in particular. I can't really choose a favorite, but it it was a labor of love to write Rocket Jump
0: fantastic so what's the uh, what's the sort of uh format and layout of the book going to look like what's the physical object that people are going to be able to get hold of
1: sure it's uh, rocket jump is being crowdfunded on unbound right now it's this, it's this publisher uh, crowdfunding platform devoted to books which is pretty cool and uh they actually yeah. they contacted me rocket jump really blew up on social media after especially john romero and john carmack retweeted it i had interviewed them and others extensively right. and so unbound uh, when they came to me they uh took me on a video tour of their office in London. And they said, we've got this whole layout plan for your book. Um, And the layout itself is actually kind of uh, my idea. Well, I should say the structure and format um, I, I do a lot of reading. I, I read uh, epic fantasy. Brandon Sanderson's one of my favorite authors. And with his Stormlight Archive books, he said he wanted to play around with formatting. If you've read any of those books, they're a novel and a short story collection and an art book all kind of rolled into one. And I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to play around with what a long form... Article, slash, I guess book sized article on the internet could be. So, Rocket Jump has 10 main chapters, and those follow chronologically uh, id Software's history and their studio culture through the development of their in house Quake games, which is Quake 1 through 3, Quake Live, and Quake Champions. But then I also have breakout chapters called pause screens. That zero in on first person shooters made by other studios, shooters that were either influenced by it and Quake or in the case of Apogee and 3D Realms and uh, Rise of the Triad and Duke Nukem 3D were very intentionally made to do what Doom and Quake were not doing. Um, I talked mm-hmm. to, uh, among other people, uh, Apogee founder, Scott Miller, and he said, you know, when we would look at ID, because, you know, Apogee helped ID get started. He said, they're so good at making the doom style games that we didn't want to do what they were doing because no one could touch them in that space. So they said, well, yeah. in doom, doom and quake don't have much of a character. You're just kind of this nameless grunt. So that's why they gave Duke a lot of personality and, mm-hmm. uh, doom's weapons are very kind of, Kind of stock, you know. It set the shotgun, plasma gun, rocket launcher oh, template, yes. you know. Yeah. And so, Duke Nukem 3D and Rise of the Triad Hall, it had all sorts of experimental weapons. So that's that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to write about shooters that came out a little bit before, but also after Quake to talk about uh, how how the 1990s was just this this fertile. Breeding ground for creative first-person shooters, and and the structure of the side quests are different. Some of them are narrative-style accounts. Some are Q and A-style interviews. Others, such as uh, the thirty-some page uh, history of the making of the original Team Fortress mod, uh, are oral histories. And so, I, I had really had a lot of fun experimenting with style and structure in Rocket Jump. Excellent. And uh, for
0: the uniniti- uninitiated, I suppose this is a term which hasn't been lost into history, but, uh, and has gone down somewhat in the lexicon, but some of our younger listeners. Uh, may not be familiar with what a rocket jump actually is. So what is a rocket jump
1: and why is it significant? Well, a rocket jump uh, was kind of created or found, I should say, in Quake, but not by id Software. They actually had no idea the maneuver was possible. They said that some yeah. weeks or so after the game was released, they were in Quake, you can make recordings of your playthrough and you could upload them for other people to watch. And they downloaded one and they saw that someone had uh, picked up a rocket launcher, pointed at the ground, jumped and then fired a rocket. And what that did was that propelled the player high up into the air into areas they were never supposed to reach. And uh, Hmm. so id Software's designers uh, booted up Quake and they all realized, you know what, you can rocket jump across our maps because we never built our levels to account for this rocket jump maneuver. Hmm. Um, And so I named the book Rocket Jump as kind of a a double entendre of sorts. So rocket jump is, is the maneuver, but it's also... It was also kind of id software catapulting itself to this to become even more successful than they were before Quake. But the catch, as I explain, is that a rocket jump can only be performed if you're willing to do damage to yourself. Because, of course, firing a rocket (laughs) launcher close range does splash damage. And that's really what kind of happened at id. Id software... Um, they're creative geniuses over there, but during that time period, they were so dysfunctional. There's so much political backbiting and backstabbing mm-hmm. going on that, you know, there are people over there who were just creative geniuses at level design at programming, but you wouldn't know to look at them that they were friends and enjoyed working together day in and day out.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, did you learn anything new and surprising about the personalities behind the games and their
1: relationships? I certainly did. Um, I talked to, like I said, John Romero and John Carmack among other designers extensively. And John uh, Carmack and Romero have kind of been painted as, as best friends, BFFs if, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. Um, even since uh, David Kushner's 2003 biography, masters of doom, though, where they became yeah. known as the two Johns because that's how their coworkers would refer to them. And Kushner got it right. He, he covered the highs and lows, the good, bad, and ugly of their relationship. But I asked both, of, both Romero and Carmack, I said, would you, did you two consider yourselves friends? And in Carmack's case, he said, yes, there really was no separation for him, though, between friends and coworkers because he lived, ate, slept, breathed work. Um, he didn't yeah. really know or care what people were doing outside of work because work was his life. And Romero said, I would say that Carmack and I, in retrospect, were not friends. We worked very well together. But once we fell out of step, we found we had nothing in common.
0: I, I suppose this is it's like um, the analogy I would think of would be uh, a, 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 a rock and roll band where you've got two people who are both want to be the the kind of, you know, the the creative lead or whatever. They're both talented in their own right. They're both geniuses in their own right. Um, And in some ways they have complementary skill sets, but in other ways they, they need to express themselves. Yeah. yeah. And I, I,
1: they hmm. just kind of, they just kind of fell out of sync and it certainly wasn't antipathy, at least not anymore. They both have immense amount of respect for each other, but just over time they had had different priorities, different strengths. And, um, you know, John Carmack especially is this, this super genius, And there were a lot of people I talked to who thought they were his friend. And it's not that he used them or or was intentionally cruel, but they realized, you know, really, I was only Carmack's golden boy until he realized that I maybe wasn't as passionate or dedicated to the project as he was, or that I, you know, was getting older and had other priorities. I wanted to, you know, spend more time with my significant others. I was burnt out from work and Carmack, you know, for better or for worse, just couldn't understand that he's, he's, uh, A machine. And he even told me, he said, um, his wife has polished off a lot of his rough edges. He's a lot more socially adjusted than he was. Um, He kind of, you know, now that he has kids and has been married for a while, he's kind of, he tries at least to take into account what other people might be thinking or feeling. Like I said, there's, there's (laughs) really no meanness there. He's just kind of, it's almost like a if then else statement where it's either, you know, the bit flip, it's on or it's off.
0: Yeah I think you meet a lot of these people in and around uh, gaming and uh, and games media and uh, uh, yeah it's um it's it does seem to go with the territory but certainly somebody who is obviously you know such a a deep thinker and yeah such a, a you know a computer like brain um it makes sense that perhaps you know interpersonal skills weren't his priority as a, as a youngster especially when he could be making serious dollars and amazing games out of out of his uh, his undoubted uh you know, talent. the interesting thing
1: there is you know i didn't even get the impression for him that it was he wasn't really thinking about money he was just and really games yeah. games were almost an incidental byproduct of his programming work he just loves to code he loves yeah. to write graphics engines and that's kind of what i in the epilogue of rocket jump i kind of explained that you know Part of me was disgusted and, and even kind of saddened by the behavior I uh, kind of bore witness to after the fact. But I also mm-hmm. had to remind myself mm-hmm. the fact is that all these guys are only human. I, I've talked to so many developers. You know, some of my books are such as the Stay Well and Listen series about Blizzard and Diablo. Um, last year I wrote mm-hmm. Breakout, uh, a history book about Apple II games. And you just realize a lot of these people grow mm-hmm. up. They're, they're young. They're in their early to mid 20s, and suddenly they, they have this idea and they make a game, and suddenly they're rich, and life just comes at them so fast, and they have to grow up later.
0: Yeah. We've seen some fairly high profile examples of people perhaps not dealing with this uh, situation right. well, both recently. I'm thinking of uh, Marcus Persson. Yeah, um, yeah. And and, and uh, even going all the way back uh, there was uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Matthew Smith who who made uh, Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy over here computer uh, you know platform games for the for the Spectrum mm-hmm. and, uh, and he had these massive hits as a very very young man and uh, you know got all this advance which was a lot of money for the time and he kind of went off the rails and uh, arguably never really came yeah. back so um, yeah, yeah I guess it's like the child star thing in a way isn't it it's the not being ready for real life Life, and then suddenly being yeah kind of thrown into a really bizarre heightened version of adulthood when you're not remotely emotionally ready for it and 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 you've you know you've unlocked a lot of doors with the success that you have sure. had
1: the same thing happened uh more or less to Doug Smith you know creator of Load Runner um, he struck it rich and, yeah, and you right. know I, I interviewed a lot of people formerly of Broderbund from my book and they said you know we some of us tried to help Doug but he was just kind of in his own world and. He died so tragically young, mm. uh, but a lot of people said, you know, as much mm. as I loved him, I couldn't say I didn't see this coming, you know?
0: Yes, there, there can be a real human cost to success, yes. ironically. Um, it sounds like you've had real success getting, uh, you know, um, in uh, you know, good dialogue with uh, with a lot of these people was it? Did you find it easy to open lines of communication to to id and, and those surrounding it, or or was that part of was that one of the challenges of writing um, such a? A book?
1: little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, John Romero is someone who cares passionately about gaming history and understands the importance of preserving it. So he is. I've interviewed him extensively for years. I think uh, two or three years ago, I talked to him for the first time to write an abridged history of first-person shooters for uh, a retro gaming magazine. Um, I talked to him about my Apple II book because he's a very passionate uh, Apple II user. In fact, he hosted a couple of Apple II reunion parties where even, you know, Steve Wozniak showed up and all these, all these great programmers, many of whom hadn't met face to face. So Mm -hmm. John was a well of information. In fact, he's very excited about Rocket Jump. He's helping me promote it. Um, John Carmack was a little different, you know, because of all the legal stuff going on between um, uh, Zenimax and Oculus and Facebook, um, I had to jump through a lot of hoops and assure both. I don't think Carmack so much because actually it was funny. Um, One of the career milestones I'll never forget is when I emailed John, I found his Oculus email address and I said, hey, I'd love to interview about this Quake book I'm writing. And he said, oh yeah, David Craddock, I read your D marker and I loved it. I was very flattered, Um, very excited. Yeah, that was really nice. But, you know, if you know anything about Carmack, you know that, you know, he's he would be totally willing to just kind of cut through all the red tape and talk, but he couldn't. He had to go through um, Oculus's PR department, and I had to assure them uh, several times that, no, you know, nothing about VR or Oculus or Facebook or ZeniMax will come <laughs> up. This is just about the golden era of, of Quake and its shooter games. Um, others were very helpful and friendly as well, pretty much to a T, everyone. I even got... um uh Tim Willits has been a, a designer on Quake since the very first game he's the studio yeah. director over at id now um, he was interested in talking mm-hmm. we did a I did a video interview with him on site at QuakeCon last August and even got a studio tour of id Ossif Khan Shacknews uh, editor in chief and I got to go to the studio and get the grand tour which was really fun
0: nice very cool um talking about the uh, the actual development of the the games particularly Quake um yeah, this is a question from Carl Moon of the Kane and Rinse team. He was saying he was asking um, what was the most surprising inspiration that you found from developers, uh, from the developers when actually creating Quake. Were there any sort of touchstones that they were kind of working off that you would not have necessarily thought? You know that that, that was a, an obvious link into a kind of yeah a kind of gritty. First person shooter. Yeah, no, that's a that's a setting. great
1: question. Mom. it's funny. Uh, Nine Inch Nails was a huge flu- influence, not just on on Quake soundtrack, because of course NIN recorded the soundtrack, but because turns out all of it, yeah. these you know these pasty faced uh, hermit programmers uh, were huge. huge Nine Inch Nails <laughs> fans, and um, they were uh, yeah. as excited and almost girlish about meeting Trent Reznor as Trent Reznor, a huge Doom fan, was about meeting them. So, their music actually, they kind of wanted to make something dark and gothic and gritty that kind of evoked um, Nine Inch Nails' music. And that, that was later on because Quake started very differently. Um, there's something else surprising I learned. Uh, a lot of people know that you know Quake uh, didn't all, wasn't always going to be kind of a Doom clone. Um, it was going to be an open world game. John Romero uh, was involved mm-hmm. with Raven Software, who had licensed ID's Tech and made, you know, Heretic and Hexen. And, and John uh, chimed in on a lot of their design decisions, and, and he was uh, really enthusiastic about uh, Hexen had an open world, open world ish style, where it had a hub that connected a lot of levels. And so Quake was actually going to be this seamless, huge world. Mm. Um, but uh, he kind of had a lot of pushback at ID. All the guys they'd been crunching nonstop, and this is kind of one of the uh, you know, symptoms, the uh, results of, of working the schedule they did. Everyone was so tired after crunching most nonstop through Wolfenstein 3D, Doom and Doom 2, and the design was falling behind because John was exploring a lot of outside interest at that time that everyone kind of said, you know what, let's not make a new, let's not make this open world game. Let's not make this exploration game. Uh, let's just make another Doom shooter. Um, and there was another instance, you know, as time hmm. went on, I think during Quake 2, Quake 2 from the beginning was designed to be, quote unquote, another id game, you know, very much in the vein of Quake and Doom. And Sandy Peterson, who I also spoke to, another level designer, he was, he and many others played mods that users made for Quake. He played one, I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head, but he played, there was this racing game, a completely converted Quake from a first person shooter into a third person racing game. And he would say, you know, guys, it seems like our users are being more creative and inventive with our tech than we are. We should be experimenting more. We should be doing more stuff like this. But it was, by that point, very insular. Um, and that direction, the shoot everything that moves, ask questions later or not at all direction was uh, kind of set by John Carmack at that point. You know, Romero had been fired. And more and more, Carmack was kind of in power. And he wasn't really a, a dictator. But... For him, the most important thing was the tech. He just wanted to keep the game design simple so that he could simple so that he could build his tech.
0: It's interesting. I was obviously doing some, uh, you know, a little refresher. I mean, it's all kind of a lot of this is is legendary stuff, and and I remember, you know, I have I have memories of Quake, um, but I was, you know, just. Googling Quake yesterday and of course one of the first things that comes up is play it in your browser over on Congregate. And that seems insane to me because I remember in the mid-90s, I think was the game called Time Quaking during uh, early development. uh, Yeah. Mm I remember mention of this game, and and then it became known as Quake. There was a massive feature. There was a short-lived but incredible magazine over here called Maximum, which ran for about seven issues, but it had this like 32-page feature, I think, on Quake, and it looked incredible. Then I remember seeing it on a friend's PC, and I just remember thinking the graphics were just out out of this world. Just couldn't believe like the the lighting on the uh, and and the textures and all this stuff. Then I finally got to play it. I, I only got to play the Sega Saturn version, but it was a it was a compromised but actually technically really remarkable port for, for For a for a lesser machine, then I played the Quake Two versions on the PS1 and N64, which were both excellent in their own right. Um, Very different games to each other, Um, both kind of interpretations of PC Quake Two. And then I remember another strong, strong memory is. Buying a keyboard and a mouse for my Dreamcast, <laughs> so I could play Quake yeah. Three Arena online via the 33k margin. So I have all these. I do have uh, a lot of uh, a strong Quake memories. Do you have any kind of that stand out for you of that era and the the sort of what, oh, what these absolutely. games kind of I think meant? I have
1: one for probably every Quake. Um, for the first Quake, let's see. Quake came out in June '96, so I was uh, I was in high school, close to finishing my freshman year, and I remember. Actually, it was a few months before that, I guess, when the Quake shareware came out, a few weeks or a few months. And I remember reading that the full game would take around 90 megabytes of space. And I remember racing to my friend Jeff's home room, and we were saying, 90 megabytes of space? How are we going to clear that much? How how can anyone have that much free space on the hard drive? Um, And uh, Jeff and my other two close friends, uh, Mike and Andrew and I, all four of us, have gotten together almost every New Year's Eve since then. Uh, for land party, we have making an annual event, and quake is a perennial favorite we We keep going back to the original quake um for quake two that was uh, only a year and a half later it's amazing how fast it turned those games out um i have a I have an uncle brad who's uh very yeah. been very inspirational to me kind of a father figure and he's also uh he was my computer guru as a kid, and every few years he would send me a new computer. Because uh, he worked out in Silicon Valley. He even worked for Blizzard North for a few years, which is kind of how I got my end to write my book on Diablo. Uh-huh. Once, I remember he, my uh, I think I fried my video card. The motherboard died. So, he sent me, it took <laughs> weeks and weeks, and he sent me a new computer. But I don't remember exactly what the deal was. I think maybe something, uh, wires had loosened in shipping. But I gave it to my friend Mike, who was much more hardware savvy than I was. And he... Oh, no, I know what it was. I was waiting on my new computer. But I bought Quake 2, or I'd gotten it for Christmas. And I couldn't play it. I just didn't have my computer. So my friend Mike asked if he could borrow it. And I went over to his house. And I saw in the opening demo, uh, you know, a character running through the level. And he he shot an explosive barrel. And there was this mushroom cloud explosion. uh, So over the top. But it's a Quake game, so it has (laughs) to be. But I remember uh, Mike had a Voodoo 3 graphics card. And the, you know, the firelight orange and red and yellow just painted the walls and we were both just, our jaws just dropped. We'd never seen anything like that before. Um, for Quake Mm. three, I think I saw it on my friend Jeff's Mac first before I played on a PC. I just remember it almost hurt to look at the game because the colors were so vivid. (laughs) It was just this beautiful game. And I mean, if, if Quake did anything, it really pushed graphics, uh, Graphics technology. So those those three memories for those three games really stand out to me.
0: Yeah. Were you uh, did you get involved in any sort of LAN play or even you know like semi competitive online play or anything like that or was that kind of was that did you leave that I to leave the, that to the, the budding the, pros. The, the budding um, pros. That is
1: some ground I cover in Rocket Jump because Quake is historically significant for among other reasons, kind of giving rise to esports and competitive gaming. Uh, but it was never Absolutely. really my speed. In fact, other than the occasional LAN party. And in my senior year of high school,s my uh, this was this was 1999, so not that long ago. But uh, my high school had always been on the low end of tech, and they upgraded us from Apple II's to Pentium II's or III's, and we, you know, games were pirated left and right. We were playing Half Life and Quake and Unreal. Uh, other than those environments, LAN environments, I'm not really much of a multiplayer guy. I've always been more interested in in single player. Not necessarily for the story, but just because I can, I can mm. approach levels at my own speed and my, on my own on my own schedule. Uh, so, really, Quake for me. When I think about Quake, I think about single player campaigns and the mods for them. Really. It's interesting,
0: actually, isn't it? I just sort of never really thought about it before, but Quake 1 was very heavily uh, kind of built around the multiplayer idea. And though it had a, it did have a significant single player campaign, I, I never felt like it was the focus. Then Quake 2 kind of redressed that. Um, and particularly with those console versions I mentioned, then Quake 3 was very much back to the uh, multiplayer uh, focus again. With bare, it barely has a, a single player component. It's just arena fights versus bots and then four which i have to confess i've never actually played that kind of went back <laughs> yeah. to the single player again didn't it so um if we <laughs> ever have a quake fight i, I don't know if it
1: <laughs> well because you know now there's quake the champions and that's kind of the funny thing is you can look at quake champions yes. and doom 2016 from a couple of years ago as two sides of the same coin i actually reviewed doom yeah. 2016 for shack news i gave it a nine out of ten and the Kind of the too long didn't read version of my review was yeah. the single player campaign is brilliant. It kind of melds the the speed and uh, the the visceral nature of Doom Classic uh, with some newfangled ideas such as weapon upgrades and and so forth. But the the multiplayer wasn't bad. It was just kind of banal. It felt very tacked on. But you flip that coin over and Quake Champions is all multiplayer. So in my mind, and I kind of touch on this in in Rocket Jump. Um, Doom 2016 mm. is the single-player component of Quake Champions, as Quake Champions is the multi-player component of Doom.
0: That's a, that's a good way to look at it, for sure. Yeah, uh, th- this kind of leads neatly into to my next line of questioning, which is about uh, the Doom reboot and Quake in the modern world. So uh, I was thinking, you know, Quake actually, uh, you know, the first game came out over two decades ago. It was profoundly influential. Um, the brand still exists, obviously, but it has been 13 years since Quake 4 and 11 years even since Enemy Territory, Quake Wars. Um, we have Quake, uh, we had Quake Live, Quake Champions exists, and they do have a following. But is there a place for the Quake IP in among the contemporary big hitters like PUBG and Overwatch and Fortnite? And obviously, there's also the established stalwarts like Battlefield and COD and even CSGO. Um, where does Quake? find itself as i guess as its original fan base is kind of aging may i say
1: (laughs) well you know i never thought i'd say this but quake has kind of become a niche game and that's not a slight against quake champions or id software but um earlier we talked about how uh when john carmack was at id he didn't really care about game design he just wanted to create great engines and because of that It it, kind of like Nintendo, they just kind of ignored what the outside world was doing and did what they wanted to do. Quake Champions is very much that. One thing I talked uh, extensively with Tim Willits about, um, because he's overseeing Quake Champions, is he said, Mm -hmm. you know, we we made this game for the professional players first. We made this game for people who, you know, had played Quake Live competitively for eight to ten hours a day. Every mm-hmm. year since it had launched and had kind of drifted away because there are other games, this is for them. Basically, you know, to paraphrase, if casual players like it, great, but we don't really care because we just mm-hmm. want our professional players. And, and you know, because of that, I mean, I've, I've played a lot of Quake Champions. I really like it, but... It doesn't have legs for me because it is very uninviting. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm not really a multiplayer guy. I would say I'm a yeah. competent Quake player, but certainly not competitively. They just kind of wave yeah. the floor with me. Everyone playing Quake Champions mm. is on the pro level, or if they're not, they certainly should be in my mind. Um, yeah. So, and actually, Quake Champions, I have to dock off points because unlike Quake 3 and Quake Live, it doesn't have bots, which to me kind of blew my mind. You know, even if you... Wanted mm. to ignore bots in Quake 3 and Quake Live, they were at least there if you wanted to just load one bot and kind of watch it run into walls while you get the layout of the level, while you learn the lay of the land. Quake Champions yeah, right. doesn't really offer a way to do that. If, you, if you're playing mm. Quake Champions, you're against other people who are out for blood. And that's it's just, you can tell it's it's very much by pros for pros. And that is, right. now, now Quake is this niche game and that's for better or for worse, mm. I guess.
0: Can you imagine a scenario where the quake name kind of? I mean, it, it, we we know how something like Player Unknown's Battlegrounds can kind of come from nowhere and turn into sure. this massive thing, and Fortnite as well. So. Is there a build of Quake or Quake Champions, a version of it, an incarnation of it that could kind of do what those games are doing and kind of catch the imagination of the modern mainstream or, you know, the, the wider, younger gaming
1: audience? Uh, I, I definitely think it could. I think that's a great question, because if you look at Fortnite, I don't even I didn't really follow Fortnite, but I know. <laughs> no, I mean, but, you know? but once they added Battle Royale, basically their PUBG mode, yeah. that's what everyone plays now. That's what everyone's talking about. In fact, to a certain audience. A lot of people prefer Fortnite's interpretation. So I feel like yes. Quake Champions could easily add that style mode. But to be honest with you, if I were a betting man, I would say that they probably won't because it is very mm. focused on on catering to their Quake pros. And what Quake pros want is just straight deathmatch, whether it's one-on-one, team-based, free-for-all. They just want deathmatch. And that is, I would say, I've said this uh, since Quake 3, I think if you want a pure deathmatch experience, I don't think anyone does that better than id uh even back in 1999 i would say i preferred unreal tournament because it was different it had different types of guns it had alternate fire whereas quake 3 to some of my friends it was like the stick in the mud they were like you know this feels like the original quake Deathmatch, but with better graphics and it does not care that's what they are setting out to do and then that's not what they provide
0: yeah and actually thinking about it i suppose thinking about the other kind of the 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 big names Uh, if you think overwatch obviously has characters and teams battlefield is kind of squad based very much counter-strike as well so i suppose the only other kind of the, the, the game that's played the most kind of straight deathmatchy is probably mainly Call of Duty mm-hmm. and obviously that's got a completely different kind of uh, MO in that it's although it's not realistic in any meaningful sense it's kind of more grounded literally and metaphorically than Quake where there's a lot of verticality and jumping about COD is more about the you know boots on the ground kind of uh, stuff uh, I guess they're both fast paced but I suppose in, in that in that arena, pardon the pun, there's not so much direct competition because I guess some players just, yeah, kind of went with the evolution of the genre to incorporate more elements, whether it's, um, you know, capturing areas or or squad goals, that kind of thing. Um, whereas, yeah, Quake is, is still purely about kill or be killed, isn't it? It's the absolute purity of, of it in a way. It
1: really is. And I think it is comfortable with that. And there's probably a lesson to be learned yeah. there. You know, Cliff Bleszinski, uh founded a co-founded Boss Key and they came out with Lawbreakers and that game kind of crashed and burned, which is unfortunate because it's really right. fun. But I think he, mm. I can't speak for him, but just kind of following the game, uh, you know, previews and then reviews after it was released, it seemed like he thought there might be a place in the mainstream mainstream for arena shooters but it's really it's almost like those games are too fast and their techniques too old school to an audience who are looking for you know be it dota be it PUBG, something faster something maybe not faster but just something with a different layer of depth i mean even in call of duty like you say it is more grounded and then you have the prestige system to kind of level up during multiplayer where it is quake is purely skill based if you know Yep. That game is all about territory control. If you know the map, then you will probably win. But other than that, yeah. you just look at the way... When I watch people play Call of Duty, they're just kind of sprinting forward. When you watch people move in Quake Champions or any Quake game, they're kind of bunny hopping. They're strafing and hopping. Mm-hmm. And there are these movements that you know. people like me and probably people like you know them because we played the Quake games back in the day. And, and it's just kind of... It's evidence that Quake hasn't really changed and maybe doesn't really need to because its audience... If you want, if you want the latest and greatest and competitive shooters, you're going to play PUBG or maybe Overwatch. But if you want Quake, you you play Quake.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you know, thinking about these, you know, jumping about in sci-fi. Obviously, Halo was a big deal for a long time, but it kind of isn't now. Um, that's kind of that ship. I think has. Sailed, pretty much. Um, and I suppose the, the the name that really was kind of, uh, you know, it felt like these two were, were duking it out back in the day. It was Unreal, wasn't it? it? was the other kind of Quake or Unreal. Do you play Quake or, or Unreal?
1: It was. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> I talked to uh, a number of uh, Quake 2 and 3 designers who were around when Unreal and then Unreal Tournament was gaining, when they were gaining traction. And they said mm. that even... The internal reaction to outside games was always kind of a, our game is better. Uh, That happened when, you know, a bunch of the developers crowd around to check out a Half-Life demo. And they said, ah, now our game is better. And really, I think that you could say, I think Quake 2's campaign is actually criminally underrated. It does a lot of things that Mm Half-Life did a year or not even a year later, but um, Half-Life because of its physics, because of the scripted events, because of things of that nature, That was kind of the next Hmm. milestone. But then Unreal, yes. um, Sorry, I went off on a little tangent there. But a lot of these developers said that anyone internally who wasn't turning their nose up on Unreal, there are a lot of people who told me, you know, Quake versus Unreal (laughs) was kind of the holy wars. And some of them even said, I actually prefer Quake, you know, or uh, Unreal. They preferred Unreal uh, because they said, you know, Epic is actually pushing things forward. Their maps are really creative. They have weapons like... um, the link gun, where if you fire, use the alternate fire and blast to someone on your team, and then they fire the link mm. gun to another teammate, you every person that you every teammate that you link, your charge grows. It's just interesting things like that. Um, but Quake Three was really it's Quake with Quake weapons and Quake maps and Quake movement, and this is this is it.
0: Yeah, and obviously both engines became quite significant, but ultimately the Unreal Engine is kind of. You know, it it won won everything. (laughs) It's like the ending. It it
1: is. And and the funny reason why is because um, so Carmack was open to letting companies license id tech. In fact, you know, Valve got their start by licensing id tech too. And they gutted about 70% of it and rebuilt it to make Half-Life. And the reason, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. was um, even though it's funny, it's almost ironic because id was open to letting companies use their their tech but their tech was not easy to use there were a lot of developers who said we tried to use quake 2 or quake 3 and it was just so esoteric and it was clearly built for quake and one reason that unreal engine succeeded is because it came with all sorts of documentation and tutorials to help developers make the sort of game they wanted to make and quake was just it was built for quake and it was meant to be used for quake
0: Uh, Question from our forum. This is from Camille Rousseau. Uh, You sort of uh, touched on this, but uh, Camille says, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on the 2016 Doom reboot and whether or not it manages to recapture the design philosophy of the various 90s classics.
1: I would say yes, emphatically yes. Doom 2016 was a breath of fresh air for me. I really haven't been... A devotee of shooters, probably since Bioshock, that was the last game that I felt managed to kind of capture the magic of. uh, People compare it to System Shock 2 because of, you know, Ken Levine and the design pedigree. But um, I would uh, compare it more to Half-Life in terms of its philosophy and its approach to how it kind of uses game mechanics to uh, tell a narrative. But um, Doom 2016 was this very interesting blend of pedal to the metal Mm. speed from Doom 93, I guess as we're calling it now. Um, mixed with a few new systems, such as weapon upgrades, that really surprisingly did not manage to slow the game down. Uh, the way I described it in my when I reviewed Doom 2016 was everything in this game is built to push you forward. And you know, th- there's no regenerating health or armor. If you, In fact, if you want to regenerate health, you kill enemies and then you perform one of the, the melee glory kills on them to restock health. It's encouraging mm-hmm. you to be aggressive. It's encouraging you to go, go, go and push forward. And really, that's what Doom was all about. Um, you held your, your pinky key on the shift key so that you always ran and you just <laughs> mowed down enemies. And Doom 2016 brilliantly recaptured kind of that ethos from that era while also kind of Carving its own path. I really hope it announces a sequel to it soon. I will buy it day one.
0: Yeah, same here. I absolutely loved it, and uh, yeah, I actually, uh, as much as I loved the, the the single player campaign and playing through it, and then going back and finding all the secrets, which I guess was yeah, I mean, a real throwback to to. To doom and, and quake uh, the arcade mode i thought was genius as well as a, a a veteran of the you know the arcades of the 80s um score chasing is something <laughs> that is is important to me and the arcade mode is is so addictive in the same way that um the mercenaries mode in resident yes. evil 4 was like there's always that feeling that you can just do it a little bit better and keep that multiplier high and uh, yeah they kind of just bolted that on as an afterthought almost, yeah
1: it? it's funny how it just kind of came about but um um i really enjoyed learning about doom 2016 like i said earlier that was kind of my first internal access to to id and it seems like they they went through such a turbulent period um you know like i said the, <laughs> the history of quake franchise is kind of riddled with a lot of ugliness but then after carmack left and um, Bethesda acquired them, I think for better or for worse, Bethesda has kind of had to play parent to id. At least they did at first. And now s- id seems to have, uh, its feet on the ground. Uh, doom 2016 is a brilliant game. Quake champions, you know, decidedly old school, but they have their crowd for that. So that's fine. Um, and yeah, yeah they're just, they just seem to be marching forward.
0: Uh, yes listeners uh check out our cane and rinse podcast back issues uh we started the wolfenstein and wolfenstein 3d series on 152 we also did the doom series starting at 211 if we ever do very doom as we call it doom 2016 uh or uh or we start on the quake series which we must do someday perhaps david will come back and oh, yeah. join us to talk That's about bless. those games in depth <laughs> and detail um and which, uh, just a couple more before I let you go, which other classic sort of FPS titles or, or franchises from the, the golden era do you genuinely believe would make for a successful sort of release in the contemporary markets and, and, and well, why?
1: Well, we need a Half-Life 3, but I don't know if that will ever happen. But I,
0: I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I, so. I really
1: do think Half-Life 1 and 2 would hold up today as well as they did uh, back in 2000, well, 1998 and 2004, respectively. Um, because I, I think yeah. that there are a lot of players out there who, you know, if sales are any indication, interest in call of duty certainly isn't waning, but it's waning more than it did, you know, five or six years ago, Um uh, annualized games. Mm-hmm. The, the downside there is that you'll get burned out on them eventually. It's just a matter of time. Um, yeah. but I, I, I think it's funny. I was just saying yesterday, I think that if we're going to see, anyone bring back the classics or make a a new FPS in the vein of classics. It's either going to be a studio like id or a smaller team who is willing to use or uh, use older tech or build tech to resemble older tech because of course retro is in vogue um, and realize, you know, we might not sell 10 million copies, but we might sell 10,000 or hundred thousand and, and be able to keep making games in this vein. And then it's funny just this morning, uh, 3D Realms announced Iron Maiden, which is a new first-person shooter made with the build engine used for Duke Nukem 3D. Um, so I'm really excited yeah. to play that. I think that's the, that's the sort of thing I'm interested in because, to me, old-school FPS doesn't just mean lots of guns and blood. It means huge levels that are really fun and creative to explore rather than, you know, Call of Duty just kind of on a linear track with lots of cutscenes after cutscenes after cutscenes. Yeah. Um, so I think that Mm. 3D Realms has certainly changed a lot since their heyday, but this might be the sort of niche they can fill, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about that game.
0: Yeah, so I suppose we have had some sort of fairly straight reboots like the, uh, I'm thinking, is it Rise yeah, of the Yeah, Rise of the Shadow
1: Warrior, of course Yeah, Shadow mm-hmm. Warrior,
0: Yeah uh of course and then there's the sad tales like no one lives forever where it's kind of been binned and forgotten about and the code isn't even available (laughs)
1: anywhere or yeah that's that's a game i'd love to see show up on good Um, old games uh, gog.com but i guess it's it's kind of mired in legal hell Uh, whoever has the rights uh, won't let it go and won't cooperate with other parties so yeah it's a shame
0: same with golden eye although uh you know the hope hope lingers on and uh and uh, the yeah for 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 better or worse the Turok games right. are coming to xbox one right. this week apparently <laughs> uh talking talking of level talking of large levels uh, maybe that aren't so fun talking to explore. Large, um, <laughs> your, your mileage may vary and falling, <laughs> just lots of falling. Um, yeah, so there's still plenty of franchises to be, uh, to be sort of revisited. Um, maybe Duke Nukem has had his time, though, eh?
1: Perhaps, <laughs> yes. Maybe his, his engine well, is, is rising again, so perhaps that's how he'll live on in spirit.
0: <laughs> so um b- before you tell us where we can uh, support all this stuff have you got any uh, ideas on the back burner already coming to uh, to boil once you've put rocket jump uh, to bed
1: uh, i'm i'm working on my next long form read uh, for shack news and uh, anyone interested in baldur's gate planescape torment and other ah. infinity engine era rpgs is going to want to keep an eye on shack news in the next couple of months i'm uh I don't know how public this is yet, but I'm working hand in hand with Obsidian. I've been in interviews with them all day, every day this week, and I'll be talking with them next week. Uh, And and we're working on a very uh, huge blowout feature on Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 and and the classics, such as Fallout and Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale. So that should be a lot of fun
0: fantastic well hopefully we'll we can have you back on when uh, when that one's uh, getting to a similar stage as rocket jump which is that uh, yeah where can people go and uh, and uh, find in more information i know you can uh, send people to read a couple of chapters when's it coming out i suppose is the uh, in in physical format and and yeah plug whatever you want to plug
1: sure sure so if you if you'd like to read rocket jump you can go to shacknews.com and it's right on the front page the first two chapters are free uh, the rest is behind a paywall and exclusive to our Mercury premium subscribers. If you're interested in Rocket Jump as a hardcover or as a, as a digital book with a nice glossy layout, uh, you can go to slash books slash rocket jump. That's rocket dash jump. And uh, that's where I'm running a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, like I said earlier, working with Unbound to crowdfund a hardcover and really, really beautifully done. Uh, digital and hardcover versions of rocket jump um the campaign's been going for almost two weeks there's been a lot of support john romero's very excited about it john carmack retweeted the information um you right. can also get a few ideas of mock-up layouts and there's also a chapter a chapter excerpt on that page as well
0: are there any uh sort of tiers or, or things that people can aim for if they want to
1: there yeah. are. So for uh, there's a digital tier if you just want a copy of the digital book, and that's around $15. Uh, $45 will get you a hardcover. But then from there, you go up and you can – I kind of uh, themed – I use the theme of first-person shooters. There's co-op play if you want two hardcovers. There's quad damage if you want to get four copies, kind of a four-pack for you and friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, collector if you're interested in my autograph. We also – I also have a couple of expansion packs where – depending on if you pledge to the digital or physical version, you get not only Rocket Jump, but you will get a copy of all of my gaming history books, which is a little over half a dozen at this point, uh, signed once Rocket Jump is released. Fabulous.
0: All right. So all that can be found at unbound.com slash books slash rocket dash jump. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Excellent. Well, David, it's been a pleasure to chat. Uh, thanks for talking to us on Kane and Ritz.
1: Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully have you back to talk uh, RPGs in the future.
1: (laughs) Excellent.